Today is my husband's funeral, but my grief has been stolen from me by what I've just found in the pocket of his shorts. Instead of crying, I am burning with rage. I kneel on the floor, his weekend bag still open at my side, swallowing down nausea. I don't have time for this now. My children, Ethan and Josh, are downstairs, looking younger than their eleven and nine years, upright and silent in their formal clothes. They're waiting for me to go down and make it okay for them. That's what I have to do every day for the rest of their lives. Try and make it okay that their daddy has died. Andrew has gone. There's no one else who can help me. I close my eyes and shove the shorts back into the bag. It will have to wait. I paint on a smile and try to make my footsteps sound light and breezy as I run downstairs. Right, boys. I'm to go. In the church, the boys sit either side of me, huddling in as close as they can possibly get, my arms enfolding them in the vain hope of providing some comfort. The vicar's voice echoes up to the rafters, sonorously reading out the eulogy I wrote, the eulogy I put my whole heart into. I sat up at the kitchen table late into the night, crafting every word, retrieving every memory I could, contacting his family and old friends to ensure I didn't leave out any vital facet. I don't hear a word. All I can think of is my hand meeting that small packet. When she has finished, my husband's best friend Owen stands and makes his way from the pew behind me to the lectern, a couple of sheets of A4 paper in his hand. He stands for a moment looking at the papers, clears his throat and begins. I knew Andrew for over thirty years, since our school days at Winchester College. I was a scholarship boy, out of my depth and petrified. The other boys were either indifferent to my plight or minded to laugh at me. Andrew was different. He took me under his wing and that was where I stayed. Until now. His voice cracks and he takes a moment to compose himself. He tells a couple of anecdotes about their school days that raise a few gentle laughs and then moves on to talk about Andrew meeting me. Liz and Andrew were a great match and I watched as first love, and then fatherhood, transformed him. Ethan and Josh huddle in even tighter. I screw my eyes shut, unable to feel the way I want and ought to feel. What I found this morning prevents the uncomplicated tears of grief that should be falling. Fury rises in me, hot and uncontrollable, my anger is partly directed at Andrew because it has thrown everything I thought I knew about him into total disarray. He wasn't perfect, sure, but who is? But I never once suspected this. My ire is mostly reserved, however, for someone else, because what I found indicates there must have been a someone else. I don't know who she is, but what I do know is that she is sitting here in this church. We finish with a hymn to which I hardly bother to mouth along, having let the vicar choose it, and a final prayer committing Andrew's body, wherever it may be, to a God he had little belief in. 
Originally, I had mooted a non-religious ceremony, but Andrew's parents had objected, and as I didn't have any strong feelings either way, a church service seemed the right thing to do. The boys and I are the first to leave, with Andrew's parents following behind. His mother wailing and clinging to her husband, who was aged ten years in the last three months. Mourners, family, friends, colleagues, red-eyed but offering supportive smiles, reach out from the end of almost every row. There are three serious men and a woman who I think are work associates. A dark-haired young woman I don't recognise sits in the final row, stifling tears, rummaging in her bag for a tissue. The air in the churchyard is humid and oppressive, the sky a peculiar dark grey tinged with orange. Water droplets cling to the leaves and the trees, occasionally giving up and splashing to the ground,